0: I'm going to just jump into the word with you in just a moment. Uh, Matthew chapter number nine is where we're going to be. Matthew chapter number nine this morning. I'm thankful for the movement in the sanctuary at this time of the service because it lets me know that we're just not a church today but we're going to be a church tomorrow because it's the sound of life and I'm so thankful so thankful for it this morning and uh we are going to do our best to share with you what god has put on our heart this morning uh i what i'm going to share with you today is really is really my heartbeat but more importantly it is the heartbeat of the lord and uh i want to talk to you today uh i don't know how much preaching i'll do today uh but I do, hopefully, uh, will have the anointing of the teacher uh, up on me today to try to teach us something that I believe is very important uh, for this season that we find ourselves in. Uh, but before we get into this message, I, d- I just want to, can I take just a moment and just talk to you for a moment? Is that all right? Is there anybody in this room that, uh, that enjoys chocolate? <laughs> okay a lot of us enjoy chocolate right we get excited about chocolate I know thanks to my wife Jackson has already developed a love for many M&Ms he loves them and uh, but chocolate is something that puts a smile on people's face but how many knows there's all different types of chocolate And therefore we acquire a certain taste for different types of chocolate, right? I was going to bring some with me and I chose to keep it in my desk drawer. Uh, But, you know, some of you, if you start talking about chocolate, immediately your mind will go to M&M's. But then the next person, when they start talking about chocolate, their mind will go to a Snickers bar. Then maybe they might end up at a Kit Kat or a Reese cup or Hershey kisses. You got them, don't you buddy? That's right. (laughs) But I say that even though it puts a smile on our face is that instantly your mind will go to your favorite style of chocolate. And you know, there used to be a day Chocolate. Yeah. i just preach on chocolate. I'm getting response. Audience participation. I'm just going to stay right here. I'm just going to stay right there. What's your favorite kind of chocolate over there? What's your favorite chocolate? Hershey's? I don't think I have a Hershey. I'd go get one out of my desk drawer just to be his buddy. But... When we think about it, it's like even though there's a whole list. And we do this in everything in our life. How many goes to Texas Roadhouse and eats dinner? Go there at some time. Uh, How many goes to Cracker Barrel and eats dinner? Sometimes. Okay. Go to McDonald's, wherever. Guess what? 90% of the time when you go to those places, you will order the exact same thing that you had last time because you know it's good. And even though they have everything else there, you still revert back because if I go to Cracker Barrel, I know what I'm eating. I'm eating a roast beef dinner with mashed potatoes, green beans, and corn, and I'm gonna have some biscuits. But if I go to B-dubs, I'm gonna have dry Chipotle, boneless wings. I like other stuff on their menu, but I just gravitate to it because that's what I acquired a taste for. In our culture today in America, we have acquired a taste for church. Church is good, right? It's good for us to be here today. But we have acquired a taste. Some of us, I'll really start meddling now just for a moment, is we, we have acquired a, a taste for our worship. My taste is somewhat different maybe than others. But it doesn't mean that it's any better. Hear me. There are those in this room that if you had your opinion, you'd, you would live in the world of the Redback Hymnal. And there's powerful things in it, wonderful things in it. But you acquired a taste for it. It's what you grew up on. That's what you cut your teeth on, so to speak. But there's others in this room that you was accustomed to Songs that was sung by the Cathedral Quartet. Oh, yeah. Rusty Goodman. Uh-huh. The Henson's. Don't smile. You'll show your age, you all. Stop it. Okay? The Blackwood Brothers. Okay? yeah, yeah. See, you, you start going and say, oh, man, that would just be heaven to me if we'd do that. Then we have others that says, oh, if you, if you bring... Lord, they go in here and just do all her stuff. That'd be that. Oh, that's up my... Listen, it's an acquired taste. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of it. But I'm saying this this morning before I get into the message. I'm just talking to you for a moment. Because I want us to understand where I'm going. It's just because we acquired a specific taste for something doesn't necessarily mean that's what should consume us. Because if it's not got a healthy ingredient... With it and I balance with everything around it, it brings destruction to us. I love Hershey bars and I love Kit Kat bars and anything chocolate I love, but if that's all I put in my system, I would be very unhealthy because I would be completely out of balance. I like the taste of it, it satisfies my longing. But yet it doesn't position me to fulfill my purpose. Can I tell you we've gotten really good at singing songs and hearing messages. And even fixing it to the flavor that we like best. But it has not equipped us to fulfill our purpose. Today all around us, there's a generation that's dying and going to hell. I found myself sitting in a restaurant last evening, and my heart began to be grieved. Not because I sat there for an hour and ten minutes and never got any food, but I sat there and grieved because of the simple fact I looked around and I realized I was sitting in an environment where pretty much, and this has not been from a judgmental standpoint, but this is from a statistic standpoint, through my studies as I realized as I was sitting in a room that probably 95 to 98 percent of the people in that room was going to die and go to hell and I sat there and I became so weighted in my spirit that a little bit later Debbie was like you're awful quiet I just really didn't have much to say because it began to weigh on me because I knew what I was going to talk about this morning and for a little bit this morning, I want to talk to you about the endangered harvest. If something is endangered, it means it's threatened with extinction. Meaning this, it is, it's exposed to great danger. And there's a harvest today that is exposed to great danger. I want to read this morning to set the stage From Matthew chapter number 9, verse number 35 through verse number 38. And it says, and Jesus went about all the cities. Somebody say "All all the cities. He didn't just go to one. It says that he went to all the cities and villages. Teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest." I I want to dive into this this morning because I think it's important. I would love to be able to stand here and preach a message this morning to make you get excited and and to maybe shout and run the aisles. And and there's times and places for that, uh, and we need that in the body of Christ. I'm not against that. But there's also times where we need to hear the instructive word of the Lord because he loves us too much to leave us in the current condition that we're in. So this morning, I, I want to take this passage and want to run with it. Some of you under the sound of my voice may have watched a movie in times gone by uh, that was simply called Schindler's List. It is of uh, Mr. Oscar. He was a uh, he was a, a German individual. He was an industrious. He he was successful in business. Uh, but they made a movie about his life. They've, they did a lot of things about his life because he made, a, uh, uh, he made a significant impact during World War II. Leading up to it, we find that he employed... Uh, many, many Jews, and he was considered to be someone that had rebelled, uh, so to speak, but he is credited to his life of saving and sparing the lives of at least 1,200 Jews from the gas chambers. and we find that in this movie it begins to tell his story. And at the end of the movie, however, it shows him walking with his Jewish friend to his automobile. And as he's walking, he has great tears in his eyes. And he looks down at his watch and then he looks at his car and he tells his Jewish friend while others is all around him, he said, I could have done more. Because he realized that if I'd have sold my watch, I could have saved one more life. If I would have sold my automobile, I could have saved multiple more lives. I could have done more. He understood the importance of saving a life. You and I today have to be honest and real with ourselves in this current hour. When we look at the condition, and I'm not criticizing, I'm just making an observation. When I look at the behavior of the church and the routine that we have now gotten so accustomed to in the Western world, if we are going to be honest, we have to look at each other and simply say this, we definitely could do more when it comes to saving people. I want us to understand that Jesus is our example. And in Matthew chapter number 9, he simply says that Jesus went about all the cities and villages. And he didn't just do one thing. But it says that he taught in their synagogues that he preached the gospel of the kingdom, but then he brought healing to those that were sick and diseased. He did multiple things to save those that he came in contact with. Jesus did all he could as he went through the towns and the villages, teaching and preaching and healing. But it was when he saw the crowds when he saw the multitude of people who needed to be saved from the eternal death camps, that he was moved with compassion. It is when you and I began to once again see the people as Jesus saw them, and just as Oscar saw them, it is then that we will begin to be moved, but not until... If we are to see life saved and won to Christ in this season, in the midst of all of the darkness that's going on in our world, it will be because that we see a harvest as Jesus saw them, and not as just individuals that are lost and wandering. I say those things to say this. We must ask the question: How did Jesus see the harvest? We find that in the passage that we read together this morning, that first of all, he understood this, the harvest is plentiful. Can I tell you, there is not a lack of people that needs to be touched with a little bit of love and a little bit of compassion. In verse number 37, we know that it says that the harvest is plentiful. The word is big, the world is big, the crowds are huge and the number of those that are spiritually lost and dying is really overwhelming today. However, you and I must understand that it is not an impossible task, but it is a task that we have been called to and it is our responsibility. It is believed that in the days of Christ there was roughly 150 million people on the planet Right now, basically every two years, the population increases by roughly 150 million. We are now reaching, actually in just a couple of days, they say when we get to November, that we are going to surpass 8 billion people on this planet. The sad thing about that is 3.2 billion have yet to hear Jesus. Think about it. And the number is growing. Not only is the harvest plentiful in the sight of the Lord, but also he understands this, that it's precious. I want to ask you this morning, how precious is the lostness of humanity that's around you? Not only was the harvest of people vast as Jesus looked upon it, but those people brought tears to his eyes when he saw the condition that these people were in. Those people on that day, just like people that are present on the earth today, No matter what they are, no matter where they are in their life, no matter what creed, not color it is, Jesus has a heart of compassion towards them because he loves people. That's why he died. I want to ask you and I the question do we really love people like Jesus loves people? See, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36. But the word compassion that is used, it is the strongest word for the word pity in the Greek language. It describes the love that just moves a person to the depths of their being. But that isn't all that it does. It also describes a love that moves people from being sentimental in their feelings to a heartfelt action. It's one thing to say, oh, I'm moved by what I see. But it's another thing to move by what you see. Can I tell you, there is all types of things going on around us in our world, and we look at it and say, oh, that is so tragic. But if it's so tragic, why is it that we're not loving on the level that we respond and become motivated and begin to move to change the tragic situation? Please hear me, we find that This type of love is something that has to be brought back to the house of God. There was a former professor at the Southwestern Baptist Seminary, his name is Roy Fish, and this was several years ago, he had an infant son, brought this child into life, but it had a brush with near death, and he finds his infant son lying in a hospital bed, and he is Overwhelmed with grief because it looks like this infant son is not going to live. He's not going to survive. And all of a sudden something begins to stir in his heart. And, and his heart was broken that his son was near death. But something began to be formed in the form of a question. It was this. What will I regret most if my son dies? It began to haunt him. And as he began to think on this, he began to realize, he said, the thing that I will regret most, this is his words. He said, if my son was to die in this state of infancy, what I would regret most is that he died never knowing how much I loved him. Jesus' heart grieves over every soul that steps into eternity lost. Our Heavenly Father's heart grieves every time somebody steps into eternity lost because they are dying without understanding and knowing the love that He has for them. That's why it's precious this morning. But not only is the harvest plentiful and not only is it precious, but this morning it is perplexed. You and I must understand that Jesus described the crowd as being harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Harassed simply means this to be disturbed persistently, to be troubled by. Repeated attacks. So what Jesus is simply saying when he looked at this vast multitude of people before him, he said, There is a group of people in front of me that has been troubled repeatedly. Every day things are coming at them continually. And he's simply saying, The tolls and the struggles, more or Less has punched them in the stomach multiple times. He was seeing them and he said he understood that they was at their final end, ready to quit. But then when he goes on and says, not only are they harassed, but they are helpless. What he was really saying is here, that this is a group of people standing in front of me that is broken and without purpose. Then it simply says, they were wandering aimlessly. People without hope, without meaning, without a reason for living, like sheep that has gone astray. Can I tell you this morning, sheep are not the smartest animals. A sheep will simply put its head down and follow the sheep in front of it, and they will wonder and wonder and wonder until they kind to a place of destruction. The only way that a sheep can lead a healthy life is if it has a guide or a leader that does not exit or leave it abandoned, but will stand before it and simply lead it to a place of safety. Jesus, when he looked at this multitude of people, he simply said they're harassed, they're helpless, they're like sheep just wandering because of the things that's happened in their life. Does that not describe our society today? I walk into a restaurant and, and, and the host can't even raise their head to seat you at a table. They can't even give you a smile and say, how are you today? Listen, uh, they, are, they have been harassed day in and day out continually. They are without hope this morning. And, and if we're not careful, we'll walk in and we'll sit down and go about our day and never offer them Jesus. These three thoughts harassed, helpless, and sheep without a shepherd so finely describes our society this morning. Ralph Emerson was right when he simply said this. People are living lives of quiet desperation. They are desperate for meaning and purpose today. They are distraught by the world's lies and They're headed for destruction and many doesn't even realize it. They're walking down a path that Jesus referred to as a broad way that leads to death. May I remind you what he says in Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 13. He says, enter ye in at the straight gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And this is the heartbreaking thing. And many there be which go in thereat. Many. Can I tell you that's wall balled up in that word many is your family? It's your brothers, your sisters, your nieces, your nephews, your cousins, your in laws, your outlaws. Hear me. It's your next door neighbor, it's the person at the counter, at the cleaners, uh, it's the person at the gas station, it's the people that you interact with week after week, year after year, but yet we go to the house of God on Sunday and we eat our chocolate in the flavor that we like. All the while a generation is dying and going to hell around us. Which brings me to what Jesus understood. Not only was the harvest plentiful and not only is it precious, not only is it perplexed, but it is perishing. Please hear me today. On another occasion in scripture, he simply says these words in John chapter 4 verse number 35. Say not ye that there are four months... And then cometh the harvest. But he says, Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Meaning that they are ready right now. I know I'm not a farmer. I, I've been around the farm some and and I've belled hay and I've helped plow some fields and I, I've did a few things, but I'm no farmer. But I but I know enough about farming to understand this that when wheat begins to come into a time where it's ripe, it will begin to have a golden hue on the top of it. It changes its presentation. And when it begins to become golden, it tells the farmer that, listen, it's time to bring it in from the field. But if the reaping is delayed, that golden hue begins to Change and the grain begins to turn to a pale white and that is an indication that if it is not brought out of the field very quickly that it will begin to fall over onto the ground and the harvest will be lost. When Jesus is speaking of fields of white under harvest, he's simply saying it is imperative of us getting into the field now because it's on the verge of being lost. Can I remind you this morning that life is but a vapor? If we live a hundred years, it's just a little dash in the scope of eternity. But when we look at life and understanding how much of a vapor it really is, it means this, uh, we only have a moment of time to bring it in from the field. I don't know, I, I was just making some observation and I can tell you that, that because of all the events that's going on in our world and everything that's happening, uh, I can tell you that right now the harvest is not golden any longer standing in the field, uh, but it is pale white. And I'm just not talking about in the spiritual realm, but I can tell you we are now, and I'm not throwing off on a generation, but I'm gonna tell you something. If there wasn't a thing called a tanning bed, there would not be a generation that had any color at all. And I'll tell you why. It's because they're so oppressed and so depressed that they never come out of their bedroom. We are so pale, and people don't understand what's going on. I'm going to tell you something. Sunlight is good. But when you're oppressed and you're depressed and the enemy tells you you're nothing but trash, you don't want to be seen. I was in a conversation with someone in a business a a couple weeks ago and they said, I went to the college dorm of my daughter and she said, I heard all these horror stories of how it was when my sister was there. But she said, I walked in, I didn't think anybody was in the building. Nobody was sitting in any of the social areas. Uh, uh, Nobody was up and down the hall. But she said, I started being nosy because it was so quiet. And I started looking in. And she said, I saw every one of those rooms had people in them. But they was all like this. And she said, they they was just there. Can I tell you that it's a harvest that is pale. And if we don't grab them quickly... It's going to be a lost harvest. Hear me. There must once again be a return to a sense of urgency to bringing in the harvest. As I said just a moment ago, there's, as of November 1st, they're saying that we will surpass the 8 billion mark as people on this planet. It is estimated. That over 30 million people worldwide this year, 2022, will die without hearing the message of salvation. That is not counting the people that hear and refuse. But over 30 million will die without ever hearing the name of Jesus. But we're going to come to church on Sunday and we're going to eat our favorite chocolate. We have a little over 330 million people in the United States of America at this very moment. It is estimated that we have now surpassed 41% of our population. It's actually getting closer to 50% that are what we call radically unchurched. When I say radically unchurched, that means this. They don't go to church at all. You won't see them sitting in the church at Easter. You will not see them sitting in the church at Christmas. You will not see them sitting at church at a funeral. Nor will you see them attend a wedding if it's at a church. Because they are that radically unchurched. We're not going to do church. Nearly 50%. They do not darken the doors of a church at any time in their life. You say, why is that important? If they were to die today, they would go to eternal punishment without knowing the love of Christ. There has to be a sense of urgency to come back to the house of God. But here's the disturbing part for me this morning. Setting across The United States of America today is millions of people sitting in houses of worship this morning. And they're there faithfully every Sunday. And praise be to God for that. But 70% of the people that's sitting in church this morning in our nation, 70%, according to Pew Research has never heard anything about the unreached people groups in the world. They've never heard about the Great Commission. They've never heard about the 3.2 billion that needs Jesus. They have never heard about the 1.6 billion that has never even heard his name one time. They are totally oblivious to it. Which tells me this morning that that means that there is only a very small percentage of the churches that are in biblical alignment in our nation. Because we have been given a commission. The commission is not to eat our favorite chocolate, our commission is not just to have a good old boys' club. Our commission is not just to get together and encourage each other. While well, that's part of it, but that's not the whole deal. It's not about just patting each other on the back and saying, oh, you're all together lovely. Our commission is to be equipped and edified to go evangelize the world. The very last thing that Jesus said was go to Jerusalem and tarry there because not many days from now you will be endued with power from on high so that you can be witnesses for me. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world—that was not a suggestion; that was a commandment. But everything takes precedence. Here's the deal, though. This morning, we say, "Well, we're just—we're just us. We just—I don't know how we can change the word. We're just us. We're just—we're just so small. We're just—we're just this, and we're just that." But according to research, this worldwide there's 2.3 billion not million 2.3 billion people that's 30 little over 30 percent of the population that they say they adhere to the Christian values and the Christian faith and you're telling me that we're 2.3 billion strong and we can't bring in a harvest if we're 2.3 billion strong and we're not bringing in a harvest it's just because we don't want to it's because we don't have a heart for it. We don't have a desire for it. Because guess what? I'm going to be real with you. We don't want to bring a harvest in because guess what? A harvest makes things get messy. I don't know if you've ever been on a tractor before, but when you come in after a day in the field, you got stuff behind your ears, in your ears, in your nose, on your eyebrows, in your hair, everything. Listen, uh, when you take your boots off, it's shaking off your socks. And it's like, how'd it get in there? Because can I tell you, when you're in the field, It gets dirty. But we don't want to get dirty. Because if it gets, if I get dirty, then I get I, I, I get all this stuff that's pulling at me and pulling at me. But can I tell you somebody gonna to have to get dirty for this thing? Yeah. Because if nobody's willing to get dirty, then you're simply saying this morning, I'm okay if my family goes to hell. I'm not okay with that this morning. Come back next Sunday. I'll preach you something happy. But right now, i got to tell you that this is weighing in my spirit because there is a harvest that is perishing. Uh, but we'll run to everything else. Uh, and we'll make sure everything else is done with excellence. Uh, but we'll come to the house of God. We haven't prayed. Uh, we haven't sought the Lord. Uh, we haven't fasted. Uh, we just want to come in, sing a song. Uh, we just want to hear a message. Uh, that's our reasonable service. No, sir, uh, that is simply uh, totally off the mark. You're just eating chicken chocolate uh, because it don't cost you much Uh, but I want to tell you something uh, you and I got to get back to a place where we have a heart for the harvest the old preacher Vance Havaner said this the tragedy of our time is that this just roll away water the tragedy of our time is that the situation is desperate but the saints are not Can I say that again? The tragedy of our time is that the situation is desperate, but the saints are not. Please don't fall out with me. But we as parents, we will move heaven and earth to get Johnny to the Little League field. But we will put no effort to get Johnny to the house of God where he can find something eternal. And I'll go to the little league field with you and I'll celebrate with you. I'm going to be, we're going to be coaching again in a few years, Chris. I think we probably will. I love it. But at the same time, there's got to be some emphasis brought back to what's the main thing is. Please hear me. We are living in a time when little boys are killing little boys and Little girls, is violating little girls. We're living in a time where teenagers are taking their revenge upon their peers. Uh, we're living in a time when people are stealing and, and, and cheating and killing just because they simply want their way. Because they're lost, they're aimlessly wandering and they got their head down and they're just moving and moving moving and they have no idea that somebody loves them. I believe it was three weeks before President John Kennedy was assassinated. He was recorded saying this statement. He said almost all presidents leave office feeling that their work is unfinished. He did not know that he only had three weeks left to live. But this is what he said. I have a lot to do and so little time to do it. If you and I could get a glimpse of just how little bit of time we have to do it, we would change our perspective. We don't have forever. We don't have. The luxury of waiting till we get this project done, and we get this realigned in our life, and and we get to this age, or we get to this place of comfort that we think intellectually we should be before we start working for God. Listen, if we're not working for God now, we are failing. Not only is it perishing, but Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter number nine that it has to be a priority. I want to ask you today, and, and I know I'm getting close to you this morning, and some of you are probably not liking me too much, but that's okay. I still love you, and you ain't a thing you can do about it. But he said the harvest has got to be the priority. We must come back to a place where we feel what Jesus feels. He is overwhelmed by his love for the people that he sees in this vast crowd that's before him. And he simply says these words, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Notice with me. The Pharisees of that day, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they saw the common people as nothing more than shaft to be destroyed and burned up. But Jesus saw them as a harvest to be reaped and to be saved. I wonder if our view is more in line with the Pharisees or more in line with Jesus. Jesus in his love died for the sinner so that they could experience salvation. Herein lies one of the greatest truths of our faith this morning. And I don't want you to miss this this morning. But I want you to hear this. And I want you to hear it well, not just with your ears, but I want you to hear it with your heart this morning. The harvest will never be reaped until or unless there are reapers to reap it. The harvest will never be reaped unless there are reapers to reap it. Jesus Christ desires to have need of you and I to bring in the harvest we need to see people as Jesus saw them he saw them as plentiful he saw them as precious he understood the perplexity of their lives but he also realized that they was perishing do you realize today that the majority of people that you walk by every day of your life is perishing How does that set with you? How does that set with me? So the question has to be asked, what can we do? We've probably all asked that question. What can we do? Here's my first answer, and I'll give you a couple other answers as well, but number one is this. Nobody else, just you and I, The church of Jesus Christ, we have to take responsibility. It's nobody else's responsibility. The responsibility to bring in the harvest was not given to the government, it was not given to any other organization, but it was given to the church. You and I must take the responsibility to bring in the harvest. It's not the preacher, not the singer. Not the Sunday school teacher. They all got roles to play. Yes, they do. But listen, it's your job and my job to reap the harvest. We have to do that by taking responsibility of our field. Every one of us have a field. I want you to understand with me this morning. I want you to pause just for a moment. And I want you to think about all of the people that you come in contact with every week of your life. Your family. Your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, the places of business that you visit, whether it be the dry cleaners or whether it be the guy at the car wash, whether it be the guy at the gas station, the local repair shop, are the guys or gals that you have leisure time with, the ones you sit with in the bleachers at the football game. The ones that you sat in the bleachers with at the baseball field. All of those people, that's your field. I don't do life with those people. You do. And God puts you in their life for a reason. And it wasn't just to be their buddy. It was so that you could begin to share the love of Christ. Notice with me, we will never have a sense of urgency and priority until we realize that we're responsible for them. How many knows it's exciting as a young couple when you hear we're pregnant? We're going to have a baby. That's exciting, right? But then when you get to the hospital and you go through the labor process, and that little baby boy or girl is brought to you and it lays in your arm, and you've never done that before, and then it's like, whoo, I'm responsible for this. Right? And it's like, don't act like your mom. No, I'm just kidding. It's like, and because of the weight of the responsibility, you know what happens? There's a trigger where you begin to love on a level that you've never loved before. You, listen, I spoiled all kinds of kids all my life, man. I love these kids. And, I, and, and, and I've, I've been part of their life, and, and, and I love them greatly. But there was something about when Tyler was put in my arms for the first time. That was pretty awesome. There was something about when Kyla was put in my arm. That was pretty awesome. But there's something crazy awesome. (laughs) Crazy awesome. About that little guy. I see you, man. Watch him, yeah. And then that little girl. There's just something awesome about it. But the weight of the responsibility makes you love on another level. What would happen if we would do what Christ did, if we just kind of take this world in the spiritual sense and take it up and say, I, okay, I'm going to take responsibility over my field. You're going to look at those coworkers differently. You're going to look at the family different. You're going to look at all of those around you differently because the responsibility propels you to love. I'm hurrying because you're getting bored. i got a few minutes. So what can we do beyond taking responsibility? Number one, we can pray. We are instructed to pray for the harvest. And we will pray. It's going to be a, When you begin to take that responsibility, it will be a normal thing for a Christian to begin to be burdened. There will be a spirit of anguish almost come upon you when you begin to see and feel like Christ does. And you'll begin to pray. And automatically, you'll begin to pray for the harvest. You'll begin to pray for the salvation of the lost. And you'll be, find yourself beginning to pray for the church to be trainers of reapers. As well as you'll begin to pray for men and women to go into the harvest. It would be natural. But we must do more than pray. Hold on to your seat. Some of you probably ought to really, really hold on to your seat. I'm not just saying it. Because not only are you to pray, but we are to go. When we see people as Jesus saw them, we will go into the harvest. If we're not going, then we're not seeing like he's seeing. We're not feeling like he's feeling. So we need to probably find an altar and say, God, do a little bit more work on me. Notice, we can't bring in the harvest without first going into the harvest field. You can see it out there, and you can see it turning white, but just because you see it and say, yep, that needs to be brought into the field, it don't just happen. You have to go. Our job... Please don't miss this. Our job is to tell people about the Lord of the harvest. It is not our job to save people. Our job is to go. They have to decide what they will do with it. But listen, when we go in love and we begin to compel them to come in, they will begin to come in willingly because they've tried everything else. The gospel begins with the word go. Without going, there is no knowing. No fulfilling of the harvest. If we don't go, who will? And I'm going to bring this to a close in just a moment. One of the greatest sins of the church is the sin of silence. Please hear me. And I'm going to to pick at you one more time and then I'm going to leave you alone. I've heard this all through my life. And while there is a small element of truth to it, most of it is deceptive. It's a lie of the enemy to keep you into a place of complacency and not engaged. But I've heard this all of my life. People often say, I'll just let my life be the witness. I'll just let my life be the testimony. Now, we should walk upright and godly before men. But i got to ask you. How many's, to the best of your ability, been walking upright in the sight of the Lord and before men? How many's been doing that? It's not a trick question. We, I think you' all scared. All of us probably been saying, well, to, to my knowledge, I've been walking upright before men. I've been living a godly life. I, I, I've been doing that. We need to pray right now. Nobody's done it. Most of us in this room probably say we've been done down. But I've got to ask you the question. How well is that working out for you bringing in the harvest? How many people has ran to the altar and gave their heart to the Lord? How many people come to the house of God because they said, Well, I, I saw you. I saw you last week and you was walking godly. I, 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 we've been doing this for 2,000 years and we still got 3.2 billion that's not heard Jesus yet. How, how, how well is that working? Please hear me. We have taken the great commission, and we've made it the great omission. False teaching has told us that we can be evangelical without being evangelistic. It's an impossibility. You and I cannot make a difference unless we embrace the call of being ambassadors for the kingdom. But you say there's so many people. The harvest is so vast. The needs are so overwhelming. What can I do? As they come to the piano this morning I'm going to give you a story. Lighten the mood just a little bit. Cuz some of you are feeling depressed right now. There was an old man walking down the beach right at dawn. As he was walking he's enjoying the the beauty of the sunrise but he he looked ahead and he saw a young man. And this young man was reaching down and picking something up and throwing it into the ocean. And he'd walk a little further and he'd reach down and pick something up and throw it in the ocean. The old man became curious and he called up with this young man and he said, what are you doing, son? He said, I'm picking up these stranded starfish that'll die if I don't get them back into the ocean. And he looked at him and he said, but there's miles of ocean. He said, it goes on forever. And he said, there are millions of starfish. How can your effort make a difference? The young man looked at him with the starfish in his hand and he simply said this, it makes a difference for this one. And he threw him into the water. I am not so naive this morning that I'm going to stand here and tell you that we're going to reach everyone. I wish we could. And I'd like to stand here and tell you that everyone that we minister to would accept, but that's not true either. But I'm going to tell you this morning that on your life journey, there is some starfish that's lying on the ground. And if you'll go and you'll reach down and pick it up and throw it into the river of life, it'll make a difference for that one. And who knows what starfish you might accidentally touch? Could it be another D.L. Moody? Could it be another Billy Sunday? Could it be another Billy Graham? Could it be another Smith Wigglesworth? Could it be another Catherine Coleman? See, they all started somewhere, they all started lost. But somebody went to them and said Jesus loves you. DL Moody was in and out of the church with the Sunday school teacher and everything else in his life but yet there was no impact. But when DL Moody was selling shoes that Sunday school teacher prompted by the Holy Spirit walked in said DL Moody what are you going to do with your life do you know Jesus loves you? Just that one more time he went that one-on-one interaction. I got to tell you this morning, this right here, it's needful for us to be here. Yes, it is. But if this is all it is with your faith, you don't have much. I hope I see you in heaven. But I'm going to be honest with you this morning. We've, got, we've been led to believe a lot of things that's not true. If our lamps aren't full of oil... And if we're not burning and if we're not serving. The Bible is very clear. He says this. If we're not willing to put our hands to the plow. Then we're not worthy of the kingdom. Think about it. That's not my words. That's his words. If we're not willing to pick up our cross daily. Then we're not worthy to be his disciples. I'm not saying everybody's got to quit and go be a preacher. No. I will say this this morning. The reason Hollywood is in the shape that it's in, the reason the sports, the major professional sports fields are in the condition that they're in, and the list goes on and on, is because of the simple fact. Throughout the 1930s all the way through the 1960s, Every young man that came and gave his heart to the Lord, the leadership of the church, for the most part, said, you need to be a preacher. No. Some of them was gifted to play ball so they could make an impact in that arena. Some of them was gifted to be lawyers and businessmen, and that's why we struggle with finances because we didn't want them to be businessmen. We wanted them to be here. Listen, you can't do this ministry without businessmen. I'm not trying to make everybody a preacher. I'm just trying to make everybody a reaper. You got to work your field. I got to work my field. But if we're all working our field, there's a harvest that comes to the storehouse and then we can change the world. But we got to have a we got to have a vision. If our vision's just another building for what for us, then then we don't need to build a building. But if our vision is to house a harvest, then let's build 5 buildings. But it's about a harvest. This morning we're another week closer to the winds of winter. The farmers that hasn't brought it all in yet, their window of opportunity is closing in the natural. But just like that in the natural in the spirit realm, our window of opportunity is closing closing. Does it bother you today? Does it bother you today? That if you walk out of this sanctuary today and you go sit down in a local establishment, does it bother you today? that over 90% of them are going to end up in hell that you're sitting and eating with. Think about it. But maybe, but maybe, there's just one starfish in there that you could grab a hold of. Here's the deal. I want you to eat your chocolate. I don't have a problem with that. But if that's all that you're about, God help us. Because I'm afraid that there's a lot of people going to stand before God expecting to hear one thing and going to hear another because the harvest wasn't a priority I received a call this week from a young girl She's in her 20s I've talked to her a few times over the last few years she's in school she began to have a heart for missions she sent me a message last week Well, I was in Armenia and she said can I call you and I said yeah I said I'll be home on Saturday you can call me anytime she called me and she said preacher she said uh, I don't know if you remember me and I said I remember you and she said I'm, I'm going on my she said I'm going on my first mission trip my assignment We began to talk and I began to see where she was going and those types of things and hurt her heart. And I began to share with her she wanted some advice and I, I gave it. And She'll be leaving in January and she's going to spend four months in a very dark, dark place. Her life is going to be on the line once she gets there. She said, mom and dad's starting to come around. Listen, I understand mommies and daddies. Listen. I would rather, and I've said this for years and I stand by it today, I would rather for my son and his family to be in the will of God in Africa than to live next door to me and die lost and if you're hanging on to them that much to keep them from where God's calling them to shame on you I believe in doing it smart I believe in doing the research and I believe knowing what you're getting into I'm not saying just be a maverick about this stuff but I'm talking about this young girl she said would you pray for me I commit to pray for you. But I said, you got to raise funds and things. She said, yes, I do. And she said, but God will take care of it. And I said, well, I want to I help be part of that solution. And we'll be doing that in a few weeks. But what was so amazing to me was before we got off the phone, this young 20-something-year-old girl, she said, Pastor. I said, yes. She said, Would it be okay if I prayed with you? I said, absolutely. As I sat at my kitchen table, tears began to fall down my face. Because this is what she said. She said, it's so refreshing to hear a pastor talk about a 1040 window. She said, everybody thinks I'm crazy. But she said, you you understand my heart because it's your heart. There's a generation today that has the zeal and the ability and the capacity to reach a world. But we, the church, are standing in their way because we don't think the harvest is important. And I heard one of the most beautiful prayers from a 20-something-year-old girl that I've heard in a long time. Not because of the words necessarily, but because of the heart. I pray you hear my heart this morning. I know it's different today, but you got to hear me this morning. There's an endangered harvest. I'm not saying you have to get on a plane and drive or fly 10,000 miles. It'd be kind of hard to drive a plane, wouldn't it? But I'm saying you've got to be willing to go next door. But I'm telling you, if God calls you to get on a plane, I'll pay for your ticket. And I'll just get in trouble. I'll find it somewhere. Because listen, there's a harvest. There's a harvest. I just wonder if there's any reapers in this room today as we stand all over the house this morning. Here's where it begins. I'm going to ask you two questions and then we're going to pray. I'm going to ask you three questions. Question number one Is there anybody in this room that's willing to take responsibility for their field? I'm not asking you to change professions. I'm not asking you to go change whatever. I'm just asking, are you willing to take responsibility for your field? Number two. Is there anybody willing to pray for the harvest? And then number three, is there anybody willing to go? There's a world dying today. And we have the greatest message. It's really simple. It's eternal damnation. Or it's eternal bliss in the presence of Almighty God. As they just began to minister in song right now. If this teaching has gripped your heart. And you'd say, I take responsibility for my field. You're not telling me anything. I want you to tell him. Lord, I'll take responsibility for my field. And Lord, I'm committing to pray. But Lord, I'm also willing to go. Wherever, however, doesn't matter how near or how far, I'm willing to go. If that's you under the sound of my voice, I want you to come to the front of this building right now. Hey everyone, uh, Cameron here from PTC Ministries. I'm so glad that you could join us today uh, for the message here. Uh, I hope the message touched you uh, in a personal way and that you can take that and mold that and move it and let it move you in your life. And as you can continue your walk with Christ, continue your walk with us as well. Follow us. uh, Click in the link below in the description there. Follow us on all of our social media platforms. And don't forget to uh, like and subscribe. I feel like a YouTuber here, but don't forget to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay connected with us. Um, And thank you for joining us.